Hi, my name is Shlomo Salsen, youth motivational speaker, author of the Teen Mental Health book, Never Fight Alone, and host of this podcast, Teenage Impact, where my entire mission is to inspire you to overcome challenges in your life and achieve excellence. Uh, before I continue and introduce my guest of the podcast, if you haven't checked out uh, my book, Never Fight Alone, it's been out for about six months now, where I have compiled 51 of these inspiring interviews. Go ahead, check it out. The link is in the bio. Now, I want to introduce a very special guest, um, my first interview in a while. Her name is Jennifer Littner. Now, Jennifer, she's a, sec a certified sex therapist and a human sexuality educator. She helps people who want a more vibrant sex life to speak openly, deepen their connection and love energetically because she believes that you deserve to be sexually satisfied. A Jennifer believes a, the sex life you desire is worth striving for. She also helps adults and teens overcome this awkward conversation and have more open conversations about sex. Today, she's gonna go over why sex education is important. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me today, Shlomo. Now, Jennifer is it right now in Chicago. Um, it's not snowing right now, is it? No, it's not. All the snow just melted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, um, I, I've been living in Philly for about over a year, and there's been quite a few snowstorms in the past few months. And my electricity bill, I, I will tell you, it is pretty high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it can, the Northeast can get so, a lot of snow as well. Mm -hmm. Now, Jennifer, how long have you been doing this for? Yeah, I've been in the field for about a little over 10 years now. I started doing more public health, pure health education, um, then went into the therapy field, and then went back into get another degree in education. So I've sort of had my hand and foot in different places, um, as, as so to speak, was relating to both education and psychotherapy in the field of sexual health. Why do you think sex education is important for adults, for teens, and for, you know, to have those conversations together? Why do you think that is important? Yeah, well, it's, it's so important because it informs pretty much a lot of, of how we live our lives. Sexuality is this really broad thing. It's not necessarily what we do with, with our, our partners or we do with ourselves in terms of, of sexual exploration, but it's also how we identify, how we live in the world, how we interact with others. It informs um, you know, how our body works when it comes to going through puberty and reproduction, as well as, as um, many other things. So you know, being informed about sexual health and sexuality is, is sort of like being being informed about how to drive a car, right? Like if, if at some point you're going to need a driver's license, if you're going to want to operate it and, and you're going to have to go to driver's education. And we prioritize that in our society, but how come we don't prioritize sexuality education? Really? It, it's sort of a necessary piece that no matter how one identifies, it's important to understand these things that are going to be within your body and within the other people that are going on. And um, it, it's really vital to us as human beings. Mm -hmm. And who do you mainly target? 
So I work with a number of people, predominantly in my therapy practice. I work with a lot of couples and individual adults. Um, and then I work a lot with parents and teens and healthcare providers in education spaces. I also train um, and, and help teach in master's and doctorate level programs for clinicians who are students who are studying to become therapists. So those are the populations that I tend to work with most. I'm sure you get some objections when um, trying to work with different individuals. What are some of those objections and how do you typically get over them? Yeah, I think um, one thing that I didn't realize as early on, but is something that's become really apparent now is you really have to have thick skin in a way, or like, I think of like an armor right over yourself when you work in the sexuality field, because mm -hmm. so many people can be really hateful and, and rude. Um, and, and thinking that, you know, your intentions around uh, education are going to, whether it be corrupt their, their children or is, is going to be negative in some way. And um, I think for, for me, some of the things that I've learned is that a lot of times people are, are really, there's a lot of fear um, around what they, what they might, if, if they had this education, what that might do for them or um, shame that's kind of been passed on through a lot of messages, whether it be culturally or throughout their development in some way. And, and I am someone who really believes in centering people's experiences in all of their aspects of their identity and understanding, right, where does, you know, what is accurate and what is not, right? And so understanding both the science piece of it and also understanding, um, you know, some of the, the messages that people hold on to that may or may not be serving them. So I think it's challenging, um, but, you know, I really, I, I've really developed that armor and I think that that helps me navigate the world better. Mm -hmm. I completely agree because, you know, I come from an Indian background. Parents, are obviously, in, in Asian culture, they don't open up to their kids about mm -hmm. sex, sexuality. A lot of times students have to experiment that on themselves and have to learn it from others, possibly maybe at school, maybe from their friends, maybe from other adults. But they don't really have that open conversation with their parents because first of all, parents think it's inappropriate to mm -hmm. learn at such a young age. And it, it's just awkward for both parties. So mm -hmm. when you are dealing with parents or if, if you're talking to a parent right now, mm -hmm. how do you get rid of that awkward conversation to have with your teenage child? Yeah, so I think one of the things is to accept that thing that awkwardness is going to happen, particularly if you are are taught that it's if this is not something you're going to talk about, or it could be could be uncomfortable. Awkwardness is just an emotion, just like any other emotion. And I think about emotions like crayons in a crayon box, right? Every color of, that's in that box is there for a reason, and we might not like all the crayons equally. Um, but if we're, you know, completing a drawing, we probably need to use them all. So normalizing that awkwardness is going to be just present, and then um, gaining some practice. So I often have people, you know, come up with what they would want to 
parents share with their child and then go practice it with another adult or practice it in the mirror. And once you've said this a couple of times, you're like, okay, like I, I have I've rehearsed this. I feel a little bit more prepared and the awkwardness might still be there, but you'll feel a little bit more efficacious or, or, mm-hmm. or more confident in having that conversation. Uh, what age would you recommend having those conversations? Well, so when you can start talk, sex ed is like really broad, but um, mm-hmm. we, when we talk about bodies and health and um, consent and touch, those are conversations that you can have with a three-year-old, mm-hmm. um, so even two-year-old, right? Like knowing like what is safe touch, what is unsafe touch when they go to the doctor, right? Having consent around diaper changes, things like that, you know, and toddlers leading up to you know, around two, three, sometimes they're, they're no longer in diapers. So really understanding like that from a young age, they can start to have these conversations. And that's not, it's not necessarily about sex. It's about other things that impact healthy relationships. Right. Um, And throughout the lifespan, what you would do is just be a little bit more specific and give developmentally appropriate information. Right. And that's the key. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are the do's and don'ts when having the talk? with your teenage child. Yeah. So I think do practice active listening, right? Okay. Hear where they're at, listen to their questions and and make time for conversations related to healthy relationships, make time for conversations around bodies and development and, and identity. Make sure you're con- really focusing on the different topics that are necessary mm-hmm. for them to learn. Get a sense of what their education may or may not cover in school. I know people's sex ed has, has shifted a bit in um, pandemic times, everybody's education has shifted. Mm-hmm. So understanding like what they will be learning, what they won't be, and, and also providing developmentally appropriate resources. So, you know, going to the library and checking out a book or purchasing a book, if you have the means to do that, is a great way to help read your child, read with your child or to schedule time to check in. Things not to do, first of all, like a lot of times we have this like reaction to something when somebody asks us a question. And the first thing we do is like unload that reaction without having like a, a processing of what it is that that's happening internally. So really kind of managing um, your own reactions to what your child's asking, right? So if a five-year-old's like asking about, well, what is a condom? They're probably, they probably heard that word somewhere and they're asking about what it means. They probably don't know what the context is. And so when parents and caregivers hear that, sometimes they like, oh my gosh, my kid is, you know, over-sexualized. No, they're just curious, right? So being able to manage your reactions and really respond from a place of compassion and understanding, giving the, answering the question they're asking. Sometimes parents want to explain like everything at once. It's like, no, they just want to know what a condom is, right? A condom is a, is a barrier, right? That could be enough of an answer. So really being intentional there, not shaming your child by any means for any questions they ask. And also, you know, really being, I think, thoughtful, this is sort of a do and don't about creating space for them to come to you. And perhaps if, if they, if, and when they don't feel comfortable coming to you, another adult that you trust that they would feel more comfortable going to. So I think those are some, yeah. some starter tips that, do's and don'ts. Mm-hmm. Both of us 
we probably were raised when growing up, we didn't have, you know, YouTube, we didn't have social media. I mean, social media really started taking off when I was in college or end of high school, but we didn't have easy access to internet like the kids do nowadays. You know, I'm, I have five nieces and nephews. So I see they're on their phone, they go on YouTube, they look up stuff and they will see stuff. Would you recommend having certain type of content blockers so they don't hear certain inappropriate things? Yeah, I think using parental controls, right? I think that's a lot of times what they're called, but um, like using those block content blockers or parental controls on on media is a good thing to do. But I think what's also very important is teaching children about what's called media literacy. And media literacy is a concept that basically helps kids understand when they're seeing something on the media, whether it be explicit or not, right? Having an understanding of who created this advertisement or this um, commercial, right? So like who funds it impacts things. We think about this with research too. What was the message that they're trying to send? Does this, does this like feel like it's replicated or applicable to everybody or just a certain type of person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. And so really kind of being able to unpack the media that they're consuming and you know, questions could start like, how do you think it feels to watch this? How do you think, you know, it feels for, for me to watch this versus you versus um, your sibling or whoever? We're getting them to kind of bring in this social emotional learning with what they're consuming is a, is a really important step because ultimately what that will help you lead to a conversation about is, is developing realistic expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of what's fed to us via media is, is not that realistic. And so I think that's a good uh, message to start with. And you've touched base on this a little bit uh, throughout this podcast, but just to go a little bit deeper, what topics fall under sexual education and what age range do you feel is appropriate for each topic? There's there's a number of concepts that fall under comprehensive sexuality education, but um, you know we talk about anatomy and physiology, mm-hmm. talking about um, consent and boundaries and privacy, talking about media literacy, like we discussed, talking about healthy relationships, what is healthy, what is not, preventing um, childhood sexual abuse and things like that, and wanting kids to understand that, identity, uh, both like sexual and romantic orientation, as well as the gender identity and expansiveness. So different types of relationships. There's also like prevention of, of STIs and HIV and unintended pregnancies and pieces around reproduction. So there's a whole lot of, I could go on and on and on, but there's a number of topics and many of these are not actually related to sex itself. Um, and so I think that's, it's a much broader thinking of it as like, sometimes it's referred to as sex and relationship education. And like I mentioned before, you know, really just being um, thoughtful about the, 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 what you're sharing and when, um, we can really think about the, the timeline for that, um, really starting with being able to talk with young people, young children about like consent and safe touch, um, bodies and health as they're younger, um, working into talking about puberty and what to expect and kind of physical changes, 
having crushes, like those are things you would talk about in late elementary into middle school, um, being able to talk about protection and from STIs and contraceptive methods as they're in middle school into high school. And then, you know, it just it's the complexity of things increase as they get older. So it's not so much you're kind of pulling themes from each each of these topics, but you're sharing what's developmentally appropriate. So it's it's often like smaller phrases of things. And then you expand on the definition as they're older and talk about it in a more nuanced way. So I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a long process. It's not one conversation, it's many conversations. Uh, what resources are available? You know, you've mentioned the library. Mm-hmm. Are, are there particular books, organizations you should go to, particular websites you should visit? Um, what resources are available for both Uh, teachers, parents, and teenagers. Yeah, yes. One resource that actually I created is called Building Ease, talking about the birds and the bees, which is an um, online course for parents and caregivers who want to learn how to kind of manage the the awkwardness and and be able to share and educate their children on these important topics. Um, And they can find that on um, our website or going to buildingease.embracesexualwellness.com. The other other resources, Advocates for Youth and SECUS, which are two larger organizations, do a lot of, they have a lot of resources there, both for educators as well as, as caregivers. Amaze.org has lovely videos that are animated and great for, to share with children and they're developmentally appropriate. So you can, they're short like mini clips. Um, Scarletine is a fabulous resource for teens. And I have a number of resources and books that are also um, in the Building Use program. We have a library, but also on our website. So if you go to embracesexualwellness.com, I have in our resources page, we have a number of those linked too. Mm-hmm. Now we've talked a lot about um, tips for adults. Now mm-hmm. let's go into tips for teens. Yeah. If you come from a background like I did in, in Asian culture, where it's kind of uh, parents don't open up to you, you don't really know much about it. How can you take the lead on opening up those conversations with your parents and your loved ones? Yeah, that's, that's a really important question. And I think, you know, it's going to vary from teen to teen based on your family history um, and how culturally in your family it's, it's addressed. But I think, you know, being able to say um, I'm, you know, I'm looking for resources on how to learn about my body as it's changing, for example, like what would you, can you help me? Can we look together? Right. Mm -hmm. Where would you recommend we go? That might be one question to ask a caregiver. Now for some teens, they're not going to feel comfortable going to their parents. And I totally understand that. You know, I think the best thing to do would be, you know, do you have access to a library? Can, are there books in your library that you can check out? That's a great place. You can also, like I said, go to scarletine.org. I think connecting with um, sexuality educators, um, resources can be great, but really finding, I would prefer that for teens to find a trusted adult to whether it be a teacher, their parent or caregiver, or someone else in the family that they, even if it's an, an older sibling and saying, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to understand more about, you know, gender identity, or I really, I want to understand how, how does, how does the body work? You know, what, what is a period? What is menstruation? Mm-hmm. It, it, those are important questions that, 
you know, kids will need to learn about. And so finding a trusted adult is, is a good step. Mm-hmm. How do you handle insecurities and feel like you don't know anything compared to your peers? Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. I think a lot of, a lot of us feel insecure at, throughout our lives. And it's, it's normal as a teenager to, to feel insecure because you're figuring out who you are and your identity is con- consistently developing. And so first, like recognizing that you're not alone, mm-hmm. right? That um, feeling insecure is about feeling unsure and that we develop certainty through experience. So I, I remember listening to your, your podcast about um, making failure being nothing is a good thing. And mm-hmm. I think about how, you know, a lot of times I, I think as an educator through error activated learning. So this process of we're going to make mistakes, we're not going to know it all and we're going to learn from it. And that's, that's okay. And that's actually a good thing. And so just reminding oneself that like, even though you don't feel secure now, doesn't mean you're always going to feel this way. And maybe asking, you know, what would help me feel more secure in this moment? What could I do? Maybe it's telling myself that, um, or telling yourself that, you know, today this feels really uncomfortable, but you know, it's not going to be forever. Or maybe it's, you know, can I, can I find a resource or go, go do some research on this topic? Or can I talk to a, a friend or a caregiver about what I'm dealing with? And I think those are some things that I would encourage people to do. Mm-hmm. Great tips, great tips. And so I'm going to ask one last question, but I'm going to break it down to uh, three different audiences. Okay. If you can write like a three-step action plan for first parents, then educators at schools, mm-hmm. and then young adults. Mm-hmm. What would that three-step plan be for each one of those individuals? Okay. And the three-step plan for just related to sex ed or? Sex ed, increasing your knowledge or um, discussing with your teenager, discussing with an adult. If, if there is a three-step plan, what would it be? So for parents and caregivers, I think the first thing we need to do is understand our own biases. And I think of them as sexual scripts, but basically mm-hmm. our ideas and messages that we carry about, um, about sex and our values, understand it, getting really clear on what those are, because that impacts how you're going to show up, educating yourself, finding resources, um, and being then third, being able to practice using some of those resources in uh, before you're you're interacting with your kiddos. For educators, you know, first step would be really understand um, what is within the realm of your curriculum. Are there things that are there? Res- Sometimes there are restrictions on what educators can provide, um, but understanding, you know, what that curriculum entails and if it's if it's truly in line with comprehensive sex ed or does it need to be? Is there is there ways for modification? Like, what is kind of your role there? Being able to be a role model to kids, right? As an educator, I think the best thing you can do is just be able to hold space for questions, not being judgmental, um, you know, normalizing that mm-hmm. all questions are good questions because teens need a place, young people need a place to go to ask those questions and they may not be able to at home. And then, you know, the third step I would say is to continue your learning, right? A lot of times, Um, Sometimes educators are well trained to specifically teach sex ed and sometimes they're not and really making sure that you feel educated and and 
well-trained and suitable to be teaching this. If your value systems get in the way of being able to teach sex ed, then that's going to impact the quality of, of the programming. So those are my three tips for educators. And then for, for teens, I think, you know, really just being patient with yourself, you're developing and, and young people are developing so much. And just knowing that sexuality is fluid, it is something that evolves in time, just like other aspects of your identity. You know, you may identify one way at one point in time, a year later, that may change. That's okay. So being patient with yourself, again, can, not being afraid to ask the questions that you need to ask and look, and, and look for, for um, do some research and connect with the resources that you need. Um, and, and I think third, just being really compassionate to yourself and to others. Sexuality is is a broad topic. It's, it can be complicated. Um, it can be really enriching, but um, just knowing that it, it, in general, it can be this positive thing, but it, it's important to, to be compassionate to yourself as you're, as you're learning um, and to others, like not to judge others around you because that's can be the hardest part is when we feel judged by our peers. Mm -hmm. That's extremely important because I know for my speaking from personal experience, yeah, I always felt like I was judged. I I, I always considered myself really not really knowledgeable up until I started when I turned eighteen in college, and I was mm -hmm. learning from my peers because I just I felt like I didn't have those open conversations not only with my family members, but mm -hmm. other people around me, because I, th I thought, you know, that was only an, an adult conversation to have, mm -hmm. um, which is why I never asked or opened up to anyone. And of course, YouTube and Google wasn't used as an educational resource back then when I was in high school. Um, I didn't even have a laptop. We had those desktop computers for each family. Yeah. Uh, one last question. Uh, my whole brand is based off of resiliency. Mm -hmm. um, my presentations I provide to school is about resiliency. My podcast is about resiliency. How would you tie in, and this may be a tough question, but how would you tie in sex education with resiliency? Mm -hmm. Well, I think you know, far too often sex ed gets a bad rap because I think that it's all about a lot of times public health initiatives have taught us that we need to try to avoid things that are harmful. And that's been a lot of what some, some sex ed has focused on. And I don't, I think that what's more important in, in, in terms of resiliency is thinking about if we can teach people, and I mean, not just children, teens, but adults, everyone is more informed about sexuality and their bodies and how things work and their identities, right? That can actually enhance resiliency and have the ability to potentially really increase our satisfaction, in our relationships and our well-being. Um, it can make us have greater ease in the world, right? And and I think that's something that all of us want, right? Is we want to be able to connect with, with other humans. We want to feel more confident in ourselves. And that's really what my research is all about. Um, but I, I've seen this happen in my therapy office and with, with, with clients I've worked with in, in educational settings too. So my hope is, is that in order to be a resilient sexual being, right? That also means being informed, being aware, right? And, and, and being, being, um, really, really kind and patient with yourself as you're, you're on your learning journey. Good point, because when you're more educated, 
Um, you're able to implement some of those practices. And when you're able to implement some of those practices, you're going to have a higher quality life. And when you have a higher quality life, you will be more fulfilled. And when you're more fulfilled, you're able to overcome some of those challenges that you're facing in life. So great point. And Jennifer, where can people find you? Yeah, so they can find me at EmbraceSexualWellness.com or EmbraceSexualWellness on Instagram and and Facebook. Um, And yeah, feel free to get in touch with us if you you have any questions or we have some resources and I'm sure we'll link to the podcast when it comes out. (laughs) Okay, thank you everyone for tuning in to Teenage Impact. Um, If you're tuning in for the first time, go ahead Subscribe to Teenage Impact, um, rate and review because I'm trying to impact uh, as many people as possible. So go ahead, like, comment on YouTube, rate and review if you're on Apple Podcasts. And so until next time, thank you for tuning in. Peace.